Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 17th, and this is the Commuter Devotional. My name is Chuck, and I'm so glad that you have decided to join us today as we seek to engage our God in Scripture and prayer before the busyness of our day begins. Yesterday, we came out with a new episode of Imperfect Family, and I hope you got a chance to listen to it. We talk about what do we think passages about Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. What do we think about that? How do we process what Jesus is actually saying in that passage to us as parents? Me and my wife kind of talk through it a little bit and just think about how we've applied it in our own lives and just walk through our thinking through it and hope that it's helpful for those who listen. So if you haven't got a chance yet, go and check it out. All right. Today, we are going to reread yesterday's passage, but include it within the larger context of the passage that we'll look at today. So we're going to read from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 14. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior sword. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider this passage today, we're in the middle of our week and we need your refreshment. We need your spirit with us today. We need this passage to speak hope to us. And hope it speaks. So God, let our minds and our hearts be changed by this passage today. Amen. Well, as you can see, we did include yesterday's passage in this one, which is a clear prophecy of the coming Messiah, the one who will come full of righteousness, having salvation, and come humble, mounted on a donkey. But in our passage today, after that verse, so verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, it actually looks forward, even more forward, to after Jesus's initial coming, to the second coming. Because all the promises that come in 10, 11, 12, and 13, they may have at least started to be completed in the first coming of Jesus, but they won't be fully completed until the second coming of Jesus. As an example, it says in verse 10, his rule shall be from sea to sea. Well, it kind of is now in the sense that he has been given authority over the whole earth, but surely there are many, many hearts that have not bowed their will to this king that will come. But that will happen one day when Jesus comes again, this time in judgment. So as we look at these next couple verses here, 10, 11, 12, and 13, we have to see them with this already not yet sort of perspective. Some of this has happened already, but it hasn't fully finished happening. It's happening even right now. But as we look at this passage, I want to draw our attention to verse 11. In this whole passage, Zechariah is prophesying of the coming Messiah, and he's telling of the work that this Messiah will do. In verse 11, he says this, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. 
we have this stark imagery of people deep within a pit, a pit that's waterless. I mean, if a pit had water in it, it would be pretty easy to get out of, right? We could just swim to the top or whatever. But in this pit, there's complete darkness and there's no way out. Except that Zechariah says, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set the prisoners free from this pit. Sin is clearly the pit that is described here. Death is surely the pit that is described here. It's because of the blood of his covenant that prisoners will be set free. Here's that already not yet principle taking place. There's the old covenant, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, that both required blood to seal that covenant. But then, at least for Zechariah's people, it is looking forward to a new covenant that will be sealed with a different kind of blood, a blood that will truly set prisoners free from the waterless pit. And little do these people know, and how much do we know, that that blood was spilled by the very Messiah that is foretold of in this passage. In Christianity, our religion is just loves cliches, don't we? We love to just latch on to cliche and tropey phrases to express our faith. And sometimes we can get really bored by that, or we can make, we get kind of like cringy almost. But in this passage, one of these tropes is coming true. The prisoner is set free. The prisoner is rescued out of the bottomless pit. And so I want to read to you something I came across. It's this, it's kind of a long parable, but it describes the situation here. It describes the hopelessness of somebody deep within this pit and the hope that finally comes. Here's how it goes. A man suddenly falls into a deep pit. It's too deep for him to jump out of. The walls of the pit are impossible to climb, and so he's stuck there. And the question this man must answer is how will he get out of this pit? People begin to pass by. A self-righteous person passes by, looks down at the man and says, only bad people fall into pits. You must be a really bad person to fall into a pit like that. And the man is still in his pit. A philosopher passes by and says, you're not really in that pit, you just think you are. And the man is still in the pit. A politician passes by and says, I've got a new program I'm proposing to Congress and it's going to eliminate pitfalls just like yours. And the man is still in the pit. The county inspector passes by and says, do you have a permit for that pit? And the man's still in the pit. A pessimist passes by and says, you're never going to get out of that pit and it looks like it's going to start raining. And the man is still in the pit. An optimist passes by and says, so you fell in a pit. Make the most of it. Maybe you could decorate it. And the man is still in the pit. An engineer passes by and says, the pit you are in is 20 feet deep, 15 feet wide, and 25 feet long. And the man is still in the pit. A preacher passes by and says, I want you to notice three things about that pit. It's deep, it's dark, and it's dirty. And the man is still in the pit. A psychologist passes by and says, maybe your mother pushed you into that pit. And how does being in that pit make you feel? And the man is still in the pit. A self-pitying person passes by and says, you think you're in a pit? You ought to see my pit. And the man is still in the pit. But in our passage, we're told that Jesus sees the man in the pit. And he takes him by the hand and he lifts him out and he extends God's deliverance. My friends, this is definitely a cliche, but one that we want to lean into with all we have. Embrace it. There is no hope, not in engineering, not in our preacher, not in a psychologist, 
Not in the county inspector, not in optimism, not in pessimism. There's no self-pity that's going to help us. There is only one hope for us. It's in Jesus and the blood that he spilled in the blood covenant. Talked about here in verse 11. My friends, as we go today, won't we rejoice, lean in to these kinds of cliche and tropey ideas that we just love. It's only cliche and it's only trope if we say so. We should never be bored by these kind of ideas. We should never be bored by hearing them over and over again. These are the truths of our faith that give us life and refreshment and joy for days like today, the middle of the week, where we're going about our work and with a pep in our step, lifting our voices and our hearts to our only Savior, Jesus Christ. As we close today, let me pray for us from Psalm 145. Father, we will praise you. You are our God and our King, and we will bless your name forever and ever, Father. Every day we will bless you and praise your name because you're great and you're greatly to be praised and your greatness is unsearchable, unmatchable, unmeasurable. When we had no hope and we tried to put our hope in so many things that failed us, you alone gave us hope. You alone gave us salvation. As we saw in verse 9, salvation is found in you from one generation to another. For thousands and thousands of years, we will declare your mighty acts, this glory of your splendor and of your majesty and of the wondrous works. These are the things we'll go and meditate on today. We pray these things in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace. I will see you tomorrow.